Hello, I'm Beatrice Valerie Nero, and you're listening to This is the Voice of the Prophet. I have walked in the office of the prophet since God revealed the anointing he has placed on my life for close to 40 years. This podcast is a new territory that he has assigned me that I pray will be done as God ministers. The purpose of this podcast is to share the word of God in a prophetic way under the anointing of the Holy Ghost as he ministers and speaks to my spirit as to what he would have me to speak to the listeners, you, his sons and daughters. You can help and support this podcast by telling your families, friends, co-workers, church members, and everyone you know about This is the Voice of the Prophet and how easy it is to tune in through any podcast server through this title. I also ask for your prayers. You can reach me with questions and comments by email at amiteagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net. And finally, you can always reach me at my website at www.amiteagle.com. And remember, if for some reason the podcast doesn't come through to you through your text or email or however you're receiving it, you can always reach this is the voice of the prophet on any podcast server. Thank you and God bless you. Now let's get into the word that God has for us for this week. This week's episode is entitled Kizzy Part 3. We're proceeding with our discussion on racism in the church and the body of Christ. Let's start this week with the question of, what does the Bible say about racism? I've heard people say that the Bible is silent on racism. That's not true. The Bible smacks of racism, but not in the way that it's been used to continue and defend racism as we know it today. The Jews separated themselves from Gentiles, not because Gentiles were less than them or were beneath them, but in order to keep themselves separated unto God, much like many Christians do in separating themselves from thieves, murderers, known liars, those without character, morals, or honor. Again, not looking down on them as though we're better, but not wanting to be a part of their lifestyles. However, in the past, the Bible was used not for a purpose of moral evaluation, but again to allow and promote social injustices and suppression. During slavery, the slave masters used the Bible not to reach the lost for Christ, but as a means of keeping their slaves under suppression. We all know, at least I think we all know, that they would always teach their slaves from the Bible and read or have someone read to them from Ephesians 6, 5 through 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. But somehow they would never get to the ninth verse, which reads, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. 
Scriptures such as Colossians 3.22 were used to keep their slaves not only in physical chains of bondage, but a spiritual captivity as well. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. 1 Timothy 2 and 6, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. But at the same time, they would never read 1 Corinthians 7.21 to their slaves, which said, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. And Galatians 3.28 would absolutely be forbidden to be heard by the slaves. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Instead, they used the word of God to hold their slaves in captivity, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well, while at the same time, never truly giving them the full word of God. The church will stand in judgment for her sin of racism because these same tactics are still being used to manipulate control, and exploit the body of Christ today. The same son who sent me the podcast that I mentioned in part two told me of an experience he had with a former female white pastor that he and his wife were under. He went to her to share while seeking counsel for what he felt was the racism he was, he was experiencing in that particular ministry. Instead of her saying what might have helped or addressing the issues as they were, she shared with him what she had gone through as a female in the ministry, sharing it as, as though it was the same issue or on the same level. She went on to share a story of how when she was in a Southern Baptist church, there was one black woman that attended that church, not as a member, but as the person they hired to babysit in the nursery. It seems as though this woman did this for many years, working at this all-white Baptist church. One day, this black woman went to the white pastor of this church and asked him to baptize her. Now, before going any further, we know that one of the doctrines of the Southern Baptist Church is that in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be water baptized. You must be immersed in water through the ceremony of baptism in order to be saved. With this as a strong part of their belief, teachings, and doctrines, when this black woman asked to be baptized, they told her no. Because of their racism, prejudice, and ignorance, they refused to baptize this woman and as far as their belief says, condemned her to hell. Why? Was it because they didn't want her in their baptismal? Was it because they felt she might later ask to become a member? There could have been any number of reasons as far as they were concerned, but none would be good enough to substantiate or justify a church refusing someone 
asking to be baptized. And none will be good enough when they stand in the judgment before God. I recently had the opportunity to listen to another podcast hosted by Jesse Dollimore, a white man, along with a white female co-host entitled, I Doubt It. One of the statements he made was that a lot of white supremacists and racists are faithful, full-time church members. I would dare say that some of these races are a great part of the financial backbone of the churches, which is why they can continue to use the church as a guise in order to promote and maintain racism. However, because they seem so genuine in their beliefs, and for the most part, on the surface, their beliefs are the same as any Christians, is their hidden motives and objectives that help them to keep their true purpose hidden. That purpose is to maintain their supremacy over every other race and nationality. As one of the com commentators said in the podcast, white Christianity has created moral blinders. In the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, instead of becoming the headlight, we the church have become the taillight. The push against abortion clinics was not truly about abortions, but only to cover and protect and support white supremacy through the Christian church. It was and is a guise, a ruse used to fight the government with taxes and other issues. Christianity has been used in the disingenuous, scheming, rallying cry of whites in their fight for white supremacy against the government. We as Christians, white and black, must come to realize that it's not just what we believe, but also what we do. And what we do should be evident of what we believe. Remember, God looks at the heart. As long as I've understood what it truly means to be a Christian, I have fervently, sincerely prayed for the salvation of our presidents, cabinets, and Congress. From time to time, I've wondered why God didn't just pour out his spirit upon their flesh as he did in Acts 2. Why didn't he just have them all amazed at his glory and power by filling them all with his Holy Ghost with an evidence of speaking in tongues? In my little finite, limited thinking and imagination, I could see the House of Representatives and the Senate and everyone in the Oval Office being disrupted when everyone began to speak in tongues, raising holy hands and praising God. I realize now it's because they would have all fallen victim to the white European, white supremacist gospel that many of us as true Christians have fallen to. In fact, many of them who profess Christianity have already done just that. They believe in the white European gospel that's being preached today. Statistics state that the public sees black people women, gays, and lesbians gaining influence in the Biden era. Unfortunately, this is viewed as a threat and a hostile action by these groups among whites and something that must be totally avoided by any means necessary. Why would that be? Why would the advancement of blacks, women, gays, and lesbians be considered a threat? Because as far as most white evangelicals are concerned, it's not about the color of the skin of an individual or even what's viewed as the sin of certain groups, but it's the fear 
of the power of their white supremacy being diluted. There's also a fear of the Biden era because I've stated time and time again, when Christians had the opportunity to truly let the light of Jesus shine, Christians messed up big time. Instead of showing the love of Jesus, racism, hatred, downright stupidity, and ignorance through following someone like Donald Trump was displayed. Many Christians allowed a bigot to lead them blindly because big evangelical names, so-called prophets, rather than listening and hearing God for themselves, they believed what these people told them. They took part in a coup to take over the government, not necessarily by being there, but by supporting those that were there and not demanding accountability from this man that they so blindly followed. And why? Just because he said Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, just because he said and absolutely did nothing, but said he would end abortion in America. The president alone doesn't have that right, and it was not done. But nonetheless, the white evangelical Christians followed this man and literally made him their God rather than obeying Jesus, rather than obeying God, and caused those who might have given their lives to Christ not just to turn, but to run in the opposite directions. Christians will stand in the judgment. Since allowing all these things to occur, all of that hatred and bigotry, now there's the fear of retaliation from those that were previously on the receiving end of the spectrum. The fear now is that since there's a different political view and control of the House and Senate, that there will be retaliations. And instead of, and I must use this term again, so-called Christians praying for the death of the now president as it was prayed for, for Barack Obama, we should pray for God's wisdom and grace concerning not only Biden, but the entire Congress. I truly believe is what we shall see in this new administration. I believe with all my heart that God is saying there's a new era. And in this new president, we're going to see a wisdom. As the prophet Micaiah said, mark my words. We're going to see a wisdom in this man that is totally unexpected but will come to be greatly appreciated. But don't think that we can demand injustices for some so that others can bask in their comforts. Robert P. Jones, author of White Too Long in America, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity, wrote, and I quote, a close read of history reveals that we white Christians have not just been complacent or complicit. 
Rather, as the nation's dominant cultural power, we have constructed and sustained a project of perpetuating white supremacy that has framed the entire American history. The legacy of this unholy union still lives in the DNA of white Christianity today, and not just among white evangelical Protestants in the South, but also among white mainline Protestants in the Midwest and white Catholics in the Northeast, end of quote. He goes on in the same book to say, and again I quote, for more than two decades, I've studied the attitudes of religiously affiliated Americans across the country. And year over year, in question after question, in public opinion polls, a clear pattern has emerged. White Christians are consistently more likely than whites who are religiously unaffiliated to deny the, exis the existence of structural racism. End quote. Racism will not die until it's killed and destroyed in the church because that's where its stronghold lies and is passed on. It's through the church, generation after generation, along with the gospel of Christ. It's not Christianity. It's racism. It's not Christianity that the government has come against. It's not Christianity that people are coming against. It's racism. And that racism lies in the body of Christ. What was the stand that Jesus Christ himself took on racism? Again, as stated at the beginning of this podcast, many will say that there is no racism in the Bible, but I beg to differ. Under the law, Jews could not and would not associate with, intermarry, eat, or heaven forbid, even worship with a non-Jew. Paul called Peter on his racism when he avoided the Gentiles when other Jews were present in the book of Acts. I know people who are just like that today. We can work with them on the jobs, go to church with them. Just don't try to act like you know them out in public or when they're with their families or people of their own race. There's still Jews who keep themselves totally separated from Gentiles until the time of Christ and even now as well. However, when Jesus himself approached the woman at the well, a much-hated Samaritan, he tore down racial as well as gender barriers. He not only spoke with her, he asked for and accepted water from her. He then commissioned her to go and tell others. In one moment, he tore down racism as well as prejudice and social injustices. This could be the very substance from which Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, which reads, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The racism in the Bible comes from the various versions of the Bible itself. In the King James Version, that same verse reads, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That rendition or interpretation allows for anyone who is not Greek 
or Jewish specifically to be left out of that statement. Some would consider that one of the reasons that so many denominations will only read the King James Version of the Bible is because it does allow for racism and bias. This same verse allowed for the slave owners to explain away or justify their ownership of another human. What about the bondsman? That word used instead of slave. A bondsman was oftentimes such because of debts or even the debts of parents. However, once the debt was paid, he could walk away from the bond he was under. No such opportunity for a slave. Let me interject something to each and everyone who's listening to this podcast. Again, the discussion that I'm trying to bring forth on racism is not for the purpose of embarrassing anyone. And definitely, as stated previously, not for debate. I am truly hearing in my spirit that God is bringing forth a new era and it's for the purpose of glorifying our Father. It's to bring about a unity in the body of Christ as he ordained from the beginning. This morning, Sunday, February 14th, my Old Testament scripture came from the book of Ezra, the sixth chapter. This is where the edit given by King Cyrus for the rebuilding of the temple was re-read. We all know that unfortunately, during the Trump administration, he was referred to as a modern day Cyrus for the church today. A bigger farce could not have been perpetrated on the body of Christ. Let me give a little background, just a little of the background of the true Cyrus. According to historians, Cyrus the Great respected the customs and religions of the lands he conquered. This became a very successful model for centralized administration and establishing a government working to the advantage and profit of its subjects. In fact, the administration of the empire through satraps and the vital principle of forming a government at the Pasigurde were the works of Cyrus. What is sometimes referred to as the edit of restoration, actually two edits, described in the Bible as being made by Cyrus the Great, left a lasting legacy on the Jewish religion. According to Isaiah 45 and 1 of the Hebrew Bible, God anointed Cyrus for this task, even referring to him as a Messiah, an anointed one. And he is the only non-Jewish figure in the Bible to be called so. Cyrus the Great is also well recognized for his achievements in, listen to this well, human rights, politics, and military strategy, as well as his influence on both Eastern and Western civilizations. None of these attributes can be ascribed to the former president. Before we start saying who is and who is not anointed, and specifically in being assigned to certain areas by God, we need to spend more time in prayer listening to what God is saying. God has not given anyone here on earth the right to determine or grant such an honor to anyone, especially to one with no character, morals, or honor. Also remember this accolade was given by those same false prophets who swore that God told them that Trump would win the 2020 November election for a second term in the White House.
We need to stop and think about who we listen to and who we believe. One of the things that God has instilled in me is character, honor, morals, and integrity. I shared in a podcast some time ago that just because a person doesn't say to you that you're lying doesn't mean that they don't know you're lying. It's the same with racism and integrity, especially before God. Even if I don't know or recognize certain things within an individual, God does. What I've come to realize is that there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. That's what God's word says in Ecclesiastes 3. As we grow in the body of Christ, there's a certain level of maturity that we must mature, which calls for a greater level of honor and integrity. God begins to demand that our inward man, our spirit man, stands up to and defeats the flesh man. The time comes when we must stop being hypocrites and phonies. When you're a hypocrite and a phony, then you're a liar. And God hates a lie. Don't be a part of something that God hates. Don't have within you something that God hates, especially if you know it's there. Our denial of racism will not stand as ignorance before God, especially when it's being exposed here and now. Let's not think for one moment that our religious practices and rituals will make us just before God while holding on to hatred and racism. Wow, in my spirit is as though I just heard someone say, I don't hate them, I just don't want to be around them. Call it what you may. Put it however you want to put it. It's racism. No one is asking to be BFFs, but we must break down the barriers that separate and set unfair, impossible to reach standards that are being changed and moved on a daily basis at the whim of those who are in control, the white evangelical Christian. I pray that this episode has been enlightening to each of you, and I pray that you will share it with others encouraging your church members, families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to listen to the podcast, This is the Voice of the Prophet, on any podcast server. Until next Monday, remember that I am praying for each and every person who listens, asking our Father's blessings and favor upon you. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you so much for listening.